We won't reveal our ailments and what haunts our sleep nightly in this tiny little world. We've locked ourselves in so tightly, and the dead stand between us like wreaths and the people we've abandoned. The life we've surrendered to the streams. Oh, teacher, I've given you my hope, and now I'm nothing, nothing. This is Scott Gifford, Sean Oborn, and Patrick Payne, and you're listening to the History of Music Podcast, where we dissect new songs every episode. Uh, we let our guests choose the song whose lyrics has historical significance, and today we have a great song and even better guest uh, who comes to us, at least in spirit, from a faraway land and time. Uh, let's go back to the middle of the century. Um, and travel to a landlocked African nation of Rhodesia. Um, you know, we'll get into the specifics soon enough. But for now, let's let's get to know our guests a little bit. How are you guys doing? Doing great. I am fabulous, Scott. It's good to be here in Salisbury. Yeah, uh, beautiful, sunny Salisbury, Rhodesia. Sunny yep. day. We're, we're I got all my sweating and hot. It's great. I got my yeah. short shorts on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My tackies yes. and my, my my shorts. Yeah, yep. We're all we're all decked out in, in brush stroke, <laughs> Rhodesian yep. brush stroke. J- j- just got done uh, cleaning our rifles and uh, yep, yeah, our my fowls here disassembled by the yeah. f- on the floor. Yes, the FN fowls. We're all we're all locked and loaded, man. We're ready. We're ready. Yep. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah, I, j- I just saw Roland heading off that way. Oh, Roland, the headless Thompson gunner, dude. That's yeah. a call. That's a callback, man. Shout out to episode two. <laughs> yep. Um. But yeah, we're here with uh, with Patrick. How you doing, Patrick? I'm great. Excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. No, my pleasure. A fellow podcaster. Yes, I am. I'm trying to catch up to you guys. You guys are awesome. We've been at it a little longer. Uh, well, and, and that's kind of the running joke that I think Scott started was uh, every everyone's dad, when they hit 30-ish, they start a podcast. And so yeah. now it's become it's become the thing where we have a podcast and then Scott has another podcast in addition to this. And then every guest we have also has their own podcast. <laughs> so everyone just has a podcast. It's, and, it's uh, the, um, the 2023 version of uh, starting a band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have a dad band, you have a dad podcast instead. Instead, yeah. I, I I am here for it though. Yeah, it's yeah. actually my, my son. My son brought it up a couple of weeks ago. Like, dad, th- does every dad have a podcast? <laughs> actually, <laughs> kind of. Actually, kinda, kinda, a little bit. Yeah, and I, you know, I tried to start a band too when I was in high school. So yeah, I'm 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 basically just on the trend. I'm yeah. on tre- I'm on trend. Awesome man. <laughs> what what, uh, what kind of music were you trying to play? Um, we were, that was kind of the, the Scott punk days, you know? So we were kind of into that sort of stuff and, and, uh, you know, we just were so flaky that we never really did anything. We just jammed a few times. We're like, we're a band. And then we're like, oh, how many songs do you ever like kind of one and a half, you know? And then <laughs> nothing ever happened. We didn't really play any shows, but we had fun, like jamming out my, my buddy's basement a few times. So that was fun. Just, just cover less than Jake and really fish and you're good. You're speaking my language, man. That's we would, we would rock out to it all the time. That's awesome. What did you, uh, what was it, the instrument you played? I was uh guitar and vocals. Okay. Were you the lead vocalist? Yeah, there was only one vocalist. So it's just okay. nice. So no backup singer sauce. No, not really. <laughs> we, we had one guy who was like willing to do it, but then he just like really couldn't carry a tune at all. And I don't think he realized he could. It was our bassist. 
And so uh, I just kind of like gently steered him towards, well, you know, we, I don't think this one needs a backup. He's like, okay, cool. But but every time it was just like half a step off. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. So pitch, yeah. you can match my pitch, man. Match my pitch. Match my pitch. Yeah. That's so, cool, um, man. So, so we teased your podcast. What's your <clears throat> podcast? Oh, uh, my podcast is called the Copybook Headings Podcast. It's uh, inspired by the the Rudyard Kipling poem, and we take a an old uh, saying or or a proverb every week, and we kind of break it down, see what we can learn from it, see if there's any ancient wisdom that's still relevant today. So, my co-host Andrew and I do that, and it's been really fun. Yeah, uh, I listened yes. to I listened to most of the episodes, um, and they're they're great. I love the they're they're pretty, they're very bite sized, like yep. not, not much more than thirty minutes. Yep. Um, Try to keep great. it short and sweet and just uh, give people a little taste of some of these old sayings. And some of them are real familiar and some of them are ones that you might not be familiar with and might not, might be, you know, hearing for the first time. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And uh, I actually, unlike Scott, I've listened to every episode, including the one that came out today. Hey. Um, so super um, fan. Yeah, exactly. So Rudyard Kipling, for those who don't know, is the guy that wrote the Jungle Books, plural, because that's the actual name of the story. He wrote other things as well. That's kind of what he's known for. British guy, old stuffy, big beard, I think. Um, although I think he didn't have a beard later in life. But um, so for for the uninitiated, Patrick, what is a copybook or a copybook heading? Yeah. So uh, back in the since, day- Since that's the point of your podcast, like what is it? Yeah, that's the point of the podcast. So I explained it in our first uh, episode of our podcast, but uh, basically what it is, is uh, back in the day when they were teaching children, school children to to practice their penmanship and their handwriting, they would give them what they call a copy book. And it would basically just be a, a book full of blank pages, except for every page at the top would have a, a little heading and it would be, a, you know, a sentence that they would have to copy, you know, a hundred times per, per page and then they'd flip to the next page. And so what they figured is, if we're going to make them write this sentence over and over and over and over, we might as well teach them some something along the way. So they would start having these old sayings or proverbs uh, that they would have them repeat and 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 write over and over to teach them some good values. So then uh, Kipling wrote this poem, "The Gods of the Copybook Headings," that there's this there's this wisdom in these old these old proverbs and maxims, and uh, and they they they're relevant and they they don't go away. And so society will drift this way and that blown here and there with the wind, but the, the copy book headings are always there. So I thought that was an interesting, interesting thing. And so we, we centered a podcast around it and, and we do a different one every week. And that's from a, that's from a base and copy book heading pilled perspective, I believe. Uh, I, I think that's what they're saying now. Yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah that's what we, that's how we classify everything. <laughs> yeah. So cool, man. Um, awesome. So, uh, I know we were talking about this beforehand before we actually started officially recording. So I'm sure we're trying to figure out how we all kind of like know you and I know it's from Twitter and you're also in exit. And I think yep. that's how we know each other. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I think exit, I found you guys mostly. And then I added you on Instagram and you didn't know who I was and you thought my <laughs> face was fake and AI generated. And then um, but I'm, I'm glad you accepted my friend request anyway. Cause yeah, w- when I saw your face, I literally thought it was like an AI generated, like fake face. And I was like, who's this Patrick guy? I don't know anyone named Patrick, you know? So, yeah. but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad that you're real, man. Thanks. Um, Me too. So the, uh, like we, we, so we got the podcast thing. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, who you are? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, I have, I live in Idaho with my wife and six children. I, I, I love me. Kids? I have six kids. I yeah. have no idea. Congrats, man. That's good for you. Thank you. You have one daughter and five sons. So we kept going for girl number two and she kept never coming. So, uh, <laughs> ended up with five sons. So it's cool. Yeah, no, we're, uh, 
yeah, busy house here in the pain home. We, we have fun. We do a podcast as we talked about. Uh, yeah, I, I love music. I always have. Uh, I've had a, a long history with a bunch of different kinds of, of music. I have kind of eclectic tastes and uh, I, I like history too. I was, you know, I took a lot. Of, I started college without really knowing what I wanted to do or anything. And so um, uh, I went to the college guidance counselor at one point and they're like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I think maybe my major will be here, this. And they're like, well, why do you have so many history classes if you're not going to major in history? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I was just taking <laughs> taking classes that looked interesting to me. So my, my major ended up becoming poli sci, but I had way too many history classes that I needed just because I thought they were interesting. So I like history. I like music. And I just thought this your podcast was cool. So um, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, man. That's why we get along so well is because my degree actually is in history with a minor in poli sci. And it was kind of the opposite. Like I, I took a bunch of, you know, shout out social sciences, <laughs> but I, I, uh, yeah. So I took a bunch of like, everyone thought I was a poli sci major because I took a bunch of political science classes, but mm-hmm. history was kind of like my first love. So, um, can you, which can you, um, college docs or what, what college do you go to? Uh, I, so I, I attended Arizona state university for a little while. That's where I grew up as in Arizona. Well, I moved around a little bit, but that's where I was living at the time is Arizona. So I started going to Arizona state and then I met my wife. She graduated a little bit before I did. And then she got a job up in salt Lake. So I transferred up there and graduated from the university of Utah. So I oh, cool. ASU and U of U. Okay, cool. Man. Yeah, that's awesome. But anyway, so that's a side note. So you mentioned that you're you're a music guy, and I know you kind of were talking ska and some punk rock earlier, you know, and yep. just a minute ago. So what what did you grow up listening to? What's your favorite genre of choice musically? Yeah, so um, I listened to a whole bunch of different stuff growing up. I started uh, listening to a little bit of just like kind of hip hoppy stuff when I was young, you know, in, in grade school, we're talking a long time ago, I'm old now. So we're, you know, vanilla ice, MC hammer type stuff. And then we got into, you know, the nineties and I got into kind of the grunge stuff, uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots and, and the, the, you know, into the alternative scene and Weezer and cake and, and all that, like a lot of, a lot of guys. And then uh high school came and that was kind of when I started getting into a little bit of the, uh, like uh, this, the Scott punk scene. I started branching off outside of like the mainstream radio place type of stuff. I started getting into, you know, kind of some, 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 some of that kind of things. And then, um, uh, got into a little bit of, uh, like the emo scene was just coming on right before I went on my mission, went on my mission, they came back. And then after my mission, I was kind of more into just softer stuff. I liked the, the, a lot, a lot of the, the, uh, kind of indie rocks, um, types of things. And then, um, and then, yeah, you know, kind of when, when you become, when you get married, I feel like, and, and become a real adult, then your music just kind of stays whatever it was at the last point. And then it just, that's what you listen to now. And so that's kind of what I feel like I'm at. I, I, I should branch out a little more, but yeah, I like, um, um, uh, alternative rock, uh, some classic rock I listened to growing up. Cause, cause you know, we we're all inter- introduced to it by our dads. So right. you know, dad rock. Let, Dad Rock, yeah, Led Zeppelin, and and uh, he liked CCR, he liked uh, um, Eagles, um, <clears throat> and then uh, so, but yeah, I listened to, you know, I got into towards the end, um, a lot of kind of indie or or like a kind of alt country type of stuff. So like Wilco and and um, you know Ryan Adams, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're familiar with them, uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Bob Schneider. If you ever heard of Bob Schneider. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he's just kind of a singer songwriter that I like a lot. And, um, but, uh, yeah, still like a little bit, a little bit of hip hop once in a while. Um, if you've heard, uh, like one of my favorite hip hop artists is a groups is a, a group called Jurassic five. Have you ever heard of them? Yes. Uh, 
yeah, they've been around for a while. Been around a long time. Um, and so I really like, uh, I really used to like them, listen to them a lot. And um, yeah, so um, um, the only kind of music I don't really like is just heavy metal and that kind of stuff like the, but uh, everything else, uh, even a little bit of country I'll listen to. And then a lot of, you know, the top 40 pop stuff kind of drives me nuts, but everything yeah, else yeah. I'll listen to. Hence why we don't listen to the radio. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's funny. The heavy metal stuff. I, I, I like it. I, I haven't been able to get really into it. Kind of like you, um, but it has, um, there's a lot of history stuff in, uh, in heavy metal music. Yeah. Um, oddly enough. And so, yep. so as we, we learned, we get, as we, we learned get a from lot of that. Uh, yeah. As we learned from Latter-day Punk and Tiberius and, and some of our other guests, like there's some metal heads out there and there's like every genre of metal exists. So <laughs> Yeah. It's just oh, say yeah. you don't like metal is like, well, you probably just don't like like these eight different types of metal, you know, but you probably like this kind of metal or whatever, because there's so many different genres and we don't want to upset our metalhead friends. That, that's possibly true. I shouldn't paint with such a broad brush. And there's very, there's a lot of talent in metal. There's like actually some really smart guys and really talented, you know, musicians. It's just, it's, you know, it's not, it, maybe it's because of my personality. Cause I'm a little bit more anxious and excitable. I need calming music. I don't need oh, something yeah. that's going to amp me up anymore. So <laughs> I like the softer stuff these days. Gotcha. Yeah. Sense. So we're, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of Phil Collins, you know, some Genesis. Sure. That's kind of, that's sure. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome, man. Cool. Okay. Well, so, um, what, as far as like, like history wise though, like, do you have like a favorite kind of area of history that you studied in college or you like learning about now like what do you historically speaking what what's your what's your flavor well that's a great question um Thank i you. don't read as much as much of it as i would like to uh i took a class so i had a history teacher in high school that you know you, you know we all can oftentimes trace our love of history back to a good teacher and i had a good history teacher in high school and uh he was like i'm supposed to teach you guys about vietnam this semester. He's like, but everyone teaches you about Vietnam. You've probably already heard about Vietnam. So I'm not going to do it. He's like, I'm going to teach you the history of Russia. And so we went through the history of Russia, like through the czars and everything. I was fascinated. I was just enraptured by it. I was like, this is awesome. Like I never knew this country was so interesting. And so I I really thought that was a super cool, super interesting class. Um, And, and that, uh, you know, you know, Russia's in the news again, all, all the time. So it's like, it's just a really fascinating place. I really liked that. And, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, of course, World War II history and European history, I like. Uh, and um, and then the uh, uh, the song we're talking about today, uh, Colonial Africa. And and I'm really interested in the, the turn of the century, um, you know, around World War One and thereabouts when when all these colonial um, uh, European powers were spreading out and doing all these various things. It's a really interesting time in history, I think. Yeah. The, lot, the, the nexus of a lot of uh, of. Um technology new technology and uh and yeah and kind of the whole colonialism yeah falling to to different types of government well and also also the source for a lot of the modern day problems we have like 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 geopolitical stuff traces Mm -hmm. from that era from those very things so but um yeah yeah that's cool man that's cool um yeah, I actually, it's funny you say that about high school because that's kind of where I trace my love of history is I had, a when I was in high school, I've mentioned this before on the show, but I, I had um, 
uh, a, a, my freshman year and my senior year of high school. Um, I, I grew up in California and I had a professor, a professor, a teacher that I took, I took specifically a military history class from him and it was awesome. And I loved it. And it's like the only class I, I got an A plus in because it was like, I loved it. And I, I loved it. I liked it so much that I literally took it twice, like freshman year and senior year. And I kind of look at that as like, when I was like, dude, there's a lot more to history than just like knowing like when somebody was born and like some dates and some names and stuff like that, you know? And, um, and we learned a lot about Vietnam in that class as well. But then, then when I got into my college career, that's where I was like, okay, there's like different layers and levels of history. There's like social history versus military history. And like everyone kind of finds their like history type of preference. So you can go now and like, there's books on like the history of sugar, you know, or the history of salt. Yeah. And, and it like blows people's minds because it's so like in depth and interesting. Um, even though it doesn't sound interesting at face value, but anyway, so yeah, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah. My dad is a, is a car guy. He's an automotive engineer for most of his career. And he'll always send me stuff. that's like the history of this, this race car, how this engine was developed by this crazy lunatic hot rodder that just built this thing or something. He loved, he gets into the history of that. So yeah, there's history of everything. I mean, everything's got a history. Yeah. Is, is he a fan of uh, John DeLorean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's a good question. Well, I don't speaking, know exactly what his of, opinion is. Speaking of like wacky guys who are like engineering geniuses that like kind of did their own oh, yeah. thing, but yeah, he's, he's one of them. But um, that's, I had, a, I had a history professor in college that said, everyone loves history because you name one thing someone likes and they get, they, they totally just like bug out about like the history of that thing, whether it's sports, like who played on this team during these years or, you know, what year this team did really well, that's literally history. And everyone has some, some topic like that that they can just like get obsessed over, you know? Yeah. Saying you don't like history is like saying, I don't like people hearing a story about something, you know, if, if the yeah. history is done well, it's like telling a really interesting story. And if it's about a topic you're interested in, you're going to be fascinated by it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So speaking of history <laughs> and music, um, the song that we're discussing today that you suggested, uh, brother Payne is one fire by the band Rome. Um, yeah. now I, I, I have, I was familiar with this song beforehand. I knew what it was about. I like this song. We listen to it in the car with my kids sometimes. Um, but I, I'm curious to know, like, what is your history with this song and maybe what, what, what made you pick this song for today's show? Yeah, my my uh, history with this song was mainly just when I found out about when I started researching and and looking into colonial Africa and kind of you know uh, the the country of Rhodesia and South Africa and, and basically the mess that it became uh, for uh, so many different reasons and uh, and and really kind of a shame because it's a beautiful country with a lot of natural resources and a lot of cool things. And um, how it went from, you know, uh, a thriving, a thriving place to, um, you know, having problems left and right. And, uh, and so this, this song popped up on my radar as I was researching some of these countries, because I mean, the first time I heard of Rhodesia, I didn't even know what it was. It's like, what, what, what place is that? Yeah, the first time I heard it was, I think a lot of people is Harry Potter, the Rhodesian Ridgeback or whatever. Well, no, that's a, that's a, that's a dog. That's a dog. Yeah. But, but no, I think it's a, a dragon or something. Anyway. Is there a Norwegian that, Ridgeback? <laughs> oh no it was uh never mind i i messed that up yeah there is a dog called a rhodesian ridgeback i don't rhodesian know if it's from rhodesia yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and then there's breed, that yeah. 
there's that line in the, in blood diamond, of course, right. That you sent me, Scott. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm from Rhodesia. And everyone's like, we saw it. We're like, that's cool. I don't know what that is, but that's cool. You know? yeah. <laughs> He's a cool guy. Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's, uh, it's, it's Leo DiCaprio who plays the character, this Danny Archer. And mm-hmm. she's kind of, what's her face jennifer connelly a younger jennifer connelly is like oh so you know you're the white south african he's like no i'm from rhodesia mm-hmm. and uh honestly i think danny archer in that movie he's like your average rhodesian probably <laughs> very very possibly yeah very possibly <laughs> and but yeah watch it yeah it's, it, that's a good movie um but yeah that's how i found out found the song and uh it's kind of just a you know a sad like ballad about this this country that that kind of fell apart um and um i just thought it'd be an interesting one to talk about because it's such an interesting interesting country an interesting place an interesting history you've got all these different uh competing powers and 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 people with different interests struggling over this one place and um didn't have a happy ending unfortunately yeah Spoiler well, um, from my perspective, I had never heard the song, and um, I, I personally don't know a whole bunch about Rhodesia. Um, I, I've I've seen some of it, some tweets about it, and and then uh, done some some research prior to this episode as well. But um, so I'll be kind of the the um, the dummy here asking questions about it. Well, you're you're the the, the audience, so that we can like, what's it called? Where you ex- exposition, so we can explain. You're we're explaining stuff to Scott or whatever yeah. is like. It's been totally for the, the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. For the ex- the expose. So, so um, where is Rhodesia? <laughs> it's in Southern Africa. It's just uh, basically just north of South Africa. It's it's modern day Zimbabwe. That's what it is. Yeah. So trick question. Um, it no longer exists. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> that's true. So where was uh, yeah, that's Rhodesia? where that's where it is. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful place from what I understand. I've never been there. Yeah. Well, and, and, and um, I don't know how much preamble um, we should get into for as far as just like the historical context of it. I will not monologue. I promise. That's my famous last words. But um, so Rhodesia was, a, was originally a, a colony, a British colony. Um, and England, as everybody knows, colonized pretty much the known world and, and um, basically formed, became, you know, formed colonies everywhere. And one of the the colonies they formed was actually called um, Southern Rhodesia is what they called it. It was a British colony of Southern Rhodesia um, that they basically established in like, I think the early twenties, I think, but they'd always had a presence there because England does what England does best. And that's colonized the third world. And so they had this British colony of Southern Rhodesia and um, they actually had like, colonists that would go like white Brits that would go there and live and they'd call themselves Rhodesians. And, um, and uh, so in, in finally in like the, the fifties and sixties, when all kind of like what Patrick was saying earlier, when all these colonial powers are getting out of the colonies business and basically kind of just dumping all their third world colonies and, in, in you know, South America and, and especially in Africa um, rather than, rather than um, let that happen, the native Rhodesians in Southern Rhodesia, who were all themselves like white, white Africans, people born in Africa, born in Rhodesia, but they were of British descent. Um, the, they basically just, the, the prime minister, Ian Smith, just declared independence. Like they, they literally call it UDI, Unit, Unitary um, Declaration of Independence, where they basically said, hey, England, we are no longer a part of your country, kind of like what we did in 1775. Um, and they, you know, they had a whole signed agreement and everything and England 
unlike what they did with the Americans, did not launch a war against them. What they basically said is, okay, look, we'll recognize your independence, Rhodesia, but you need to have majority rule. You can't just have like the elites ruling or whatever, like you're currently doing, or like we do in England, you have to have majority rule from like all the people, you know, very democratic type system. The Rhodesians did not want to do that. um, And they ended up um, essentially becoming just de facto their own country, just because just that, that will to power, like we've talked about where, okay, here's our borders. Here's our national language. Here's our flag. Here's our, our, our military we have. And for all intents and purposes, were their own country, but nobody, so, nobody recognized them. So, so what makes it different? Like what makes, what made them want to do that? Was it like the, just the particular people that chose to go there um, were, were will to power type guys and they had, and their progeny were, were in the same boat or was it, yeah. What was it? What was different? I'd like to think that that's what it was. Uh, Patrick, if you have an answer to that, let me know. I have no clue. One thing I do know is that, um, like, like for example, the, the prime minister, they only had one prime minister the entire time they were a country, the guy named Ian Smith. And um, what's, what's interesting about this guy is he, he was very educated. Um, he's, he's dead now. He died in uh, 2007. But the guy himself was born in 1919 in Rhodesia. So the right. guy himself was a yeah. Rhodesian, you know. And so this wasn't something where it's like, you know, these these, like, you know, rich and famous royals or whatever from England, they go down to Africa to try and live like kings and they form their own country. You know, these are people that had been actually been born and raised there. You know, they lived in Rhodesia. And so to them, I think England was, it was kind of like Americans, you know, during our revolution, it was the same kind of thing. It's like, well, yeah, like, I guess I'm a subject to the queen and king and whatever, mm-hmm. but I don't know them. I've never been there. They're, they're a whole world away, you know? And so I'm, I'm thinking it's the same kind of thought process for the, for these folks, but I really have no idea. Yeah. And there was a, the, um, you know, uh, the kind of the elephant in the room with Rhodesia, whenever you bring it up is the, the racial element. There was, um, uh, basically the way they had structured the, the voting was, uh, um, uh, like Sean, you mentioned the elites, it was kind of, uh, favored so that Europeans, uh, European descended whites were the ones who had most of the voting representation. And there were like these kind of, uh, tribal groups that had kind of semi-parliamentary powers and stuff. And that's where most of the, most of the blacks were. And so that's why England was like, all right, you can't do this anymore. You know, we're, we're modern. We, we don't do this. We have one man, one vote. And it's, that's how, it, how it's going to be. Well, the problem was the the government of Rhodesia, who is run mostly by these European whites, there were some blacks involved involved in it as well. But all the most of the property owners and everything were were like, look, you know, my great great grandfather built this farm or this factory or whatever. If I go one man one vote, there's all this communist influence. The the and and as soon as we turn it over to one person one vote, they're going to vote to take all my stuff. And like spoiler alert. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. <laughs> like like yeah. that's exactly what happened as soon as Mugabe took over. So right. they were they were hesitant to do that. But then they were kind of labeled as like this racist white supremacist country by the rest of the world. And they were just kind of the rest of Europe and every the West kind of turned their back on them and just let them. And so they ended up having these brush wars where um, all the like the ZANU and the ZAPU parties, these 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 kind of these these black uh, groups who wanted to kind of take power, who were supported by by the Soviets, um, given money and weapons and all sorts of stuff they were fighting. To take power and they were kind of fighting on their own and 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 there was some 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 real bravery there there's the you know the, the the stories of these elite groups like the Celis scouts which was um uh, they're kind of the elite military unit they, had, they, they fought pretty bravely uh, but eventually they they ran out of resources and, and couldn't couldn't keep it up so it's just a really fascinating story seeing how 
um, it, it really is just a clash of the old and the new. It's mo- modern society moving in a modern direction. And they were stuck in this situation where it's like, we, we, we don't know what to do. If, if, you're, if you're telling us to go into this modern direction and have one man, one vote, and everyone's happy and everything, it's not going to end well. It's, this is going to end in a disaster. And so they were really kind of trapped between the old and the new. And then, and then it, uh, it kind of all imploded. So it's, it, in, in my opinion, it's a very fascinating story. It, yeah. it is fascinating. I think that the timeline is, is really fascinating to me is that like this happened when like, our parents were alive. It's in the 70s. Yeah. So it's like, well, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of my, my history with knowing about Rhodesia, like prior to this show, prior to even hearing this song is so, I mean, I, I had to do some research for this. And so like Rhodesia as like a name, it's named for Cecil Rhodes or Cecil Rhodes. who was like this kind of really well-known, like pro-colonial uh, British guy who is all about being from England and going and helping the, the black man, you know, in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. And he was very pro-colonial, but this is like 1890s stuff. So he was like your average 1890s high educated Brit. Right. So he wasn't, he wasn't odd. He wasn't an odd man out in his thinking for the time for the era. And so Rhodesia or Northern and Southern Rhodesia, these colonies that the Brits had is are named after him Rhodes, his last name. And, uh, and, and England had basically had some massive presence in that area since like the 1890s, you know, 1898, I think is when they kind of named like Northern Southern Rhodesia and all the way up, just so kind of you were saying, Scott, so we have some dates to kind of tack this to, it was November of 1965. So November of 1965 is when Ian Smith, who had been kind of the prime minister of Southern Rhodesia under a British colony, basically said, no, we're going to, we're going to declare independence. November of 65, they, they signed this UDI, you know, this, this unitary um, uh, declaration of independence and kind of just announced themselves as the Republic of Rhodesia. No, like I said, no one recognized them. And in international law, I think it to be recognized by like certain players or a certain number of other states in order for you to be considered a quote unquote official country. So they weren't recognized by like anybody but Portugal, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but but the but like almost well, here's a the... here's a fun fact. Yeah, I don't have very many fun facts. But, no, no, go for it. And I can't really back it up because I, I I tried to look it up, but I couldn't figure. So this is 100 percent true. OK, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> so I saw somewhere on a YouTube comment. Um, so, you know, it's legit. Um, so Someone said uh, that still in the in the on on a U.S. form, if you're getting a background check to get a gun um zimbabwe's country code is rh still based i'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up that's awesome yeah. Yeah. um i wonder and, what it is for the internet it, it might be just zi or Z yeah or you know like i think i think most modern type things this is just like something that hasn't been updated that's is uh and so. and i believe uh, cecil Rhodes. that's where the like a Rhodes scholar comes from like the mm-hmm. Rhodes scholar scholar award same, same guy also oh, yeah, named really? after him yeah. same guy yeah he's he's google cecil Rhodes. the guy's like He's been everywhere, done everything. Super but, interesting, um, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, but November of 65 is when this, this declaration of independence came about. They declared themselves Rhodesia and almost immediately, like that same year, I think, like Patrick was saying, there's all these, um, these, these communist supported groups of black Africans from Zimbabwe, from Mozambique, right next door, from other areas around there that basically wanted to have their own rule, but they wanted to have it be communist rule. And so they basically started um, invading Rhodesia from within and Rhodesia for the don't, those that don't know is fairly rural. Like there's some big cities like the capital cities, but most of it was white Rhodesian farmers out in the countryside farming thousands of acres. And so what would happen is, is the, you'd have these, um, these like 
military paramilitary groups that were armed trained by communist china communist you know soviet union cuba whatever and they would basically go do these raids and burn down someone's house or they'd murder you know a couple like white rhodesian farmers out on the out on the fringe of the country you know and so um so rhodesia started what they call what they call now the the, the bush war the rhodesian bush war and it's basically their vietnam there's a lot of similarities between vietnam war and rhodesian bush war because the landscape is the same. They're fighting a similar type of foe in a, in almost the exact same years. And the war lasted as long as the country existed. The country was 100% at war from the moment they declared independence. And it was from 1965 all the way until 1979. That's how long the country existed for. That's how long the, the, um, the war lasted. And so you're right, Scott. I mean, that's six years before I was born. So like there's there's people now who were born and raised in Rhodesia that would be your parents' age, maybe a little bit younger, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. I'll throw a little added flair in here. So I'm kind of a like a like a stereotypical American gun nut a little bit here. We're in the gun chat, right? And yeah. uh, and I, uh, I started that chat. That's, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> hey, hey. Um, but yeah, uh, this was in this is an interesting place because also back in the back in the in the like the 70s. They had the like Soldier of Fortune magazine and stuff, and they were like actual. You could sign up and be a be a mercenary and go fight for Rhodesia. And a lot of these like guys who had, had military experience in Vietnam and stuff went and did that. Americans went and, and fought and, and, and you know to fight the. Yeah, they would take out ads yeah. in the magazine like, "Hey, come fight for Rhodesia, yeah. earn, earn you know glory and fame or whatever." Yeah, it's wild. That's awesome. And so yeah, and so um, these you know. Really fascinating time in, in history with all these different competing factions. Of course, uh, the 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 communist influence just made everything worse, like it always does. Uh, but uh, the, but the 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 local uh, black Africans obviously did have some some legitimate beefs. They're like, you know, this is historically our land. And then the Europeans had their claim as well. Well, you know, yes, but not much was here when we got here, and we kind of built it. So there's this com- there's this competing back and forth. Um, it's, I think it's important to note that. Um, they, 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 the, the, there were racial problems there, but it wasn't as bad as South Africa, the South African ap- apartheid that you hear kind of uh, like horror stories of uh, Rhodesia, um, despite having has kind of a reputation of being, being worse. It really was not, it was, uh, they, they got along fairly well from, from what I've read most of the time until basically they, they, all this pressure got put on them to try to go one person, one vote. And then, uh, and then the, the ZANU and the ZAPU uh, communist back uh, party started causing trouble and, and it was downhill from there. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. And so, like you said, Patrick, like the, the, the Rhodesians that like the, the sort of the ruling class, if you will, which were majority white, um, they did have sort of a one man, one vote, but it was kind of like a very old type system where it's like, Oh, a land owning male can vote. Right. And so it's like, yeah, blacks could vote if you own land, but kind of, yeah. in Rhodesia yeah. who owned all the land? Well, first it was her majesty, but then after the declaration of independence, you know, it was, it was basically farmers that had been there for, you know, one, two, three generations, but they were all white. So there were, you know, black farm owners, you know, but just not very many. And so it wasn't, I don't think it was designed necessarily to exclude the black man, but I think it was still more of a, it's kind of a very British, um, old school British type of thinking where it's like, oh no, I'm, we're more educated. We're not like savages, you know, so we can take care of you better than you can take care of you. Kind of a very I don't know, paternalistic, maybe. That, I think, I think that's the, the right word theory. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and that's, kind that's, of, that's, yeah. Sorry. That's very, <laughs> that's very early 20th century, right? That paternalistic uh, concept of, well, we're their betters. We know better than them. We're going to help them. And, 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 
it, while that's viewed as very backwards nowadays, keep in mind, that's not the ugliest form of racism, right? I mean, that that's that's actually not not the worst way you can be to be like, well, they don't know any better, so we're going to help them. That's a lot better than they're, they're scum and we're trying to hurt them or, or subjugate them. Well, that, so, that, that actually sounds familiar to what we see today, just uh, not necessarily from the right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, there was a sizable minority of whites. So this wasn't like, oh, the country is 10 million people and a thousand of them are white. No, there was, there was like a million white people. There's a ton of white people there yeah. for, for African standards. There's a ton of white people there, but yeah. it was like maybe six to 10% of the population was white. The rest was black Africans. And so you're still going to have those, those issues. But what, what I was, what I was going to mention is during the time of Rhodesia being a republic, like after their independence, um, they they were literally known as the breadbasket of Africa. They supplied all the food, all the grain, the literal bread to the rest of, of the continent because they had the strongest um, economy that they could actually export stuff. You know, they had the strongest like currency and the the, the black Africans living in Rhodesia especially if they served in the military, had the highest standard of living of any African anywhere in Africa. Yeah. And, and so, and a lot of people don't talk about that. All they want to talk about is like the racism aspect of like, oh, but they didn't, you know, they couldn't vote or whatever. It's like, you know, maybe not all of them could vote and that has its own issues, but they could afford to eat. They weren't having a civil war for 30 years where millions of them die, you know, brother yeah. killing brother kind of thing. You know, and yeah. so it's, it's, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, you know, pros and cons, which one people would rather have, you know? Yeah, there was, it was, it was obvious. I mean, it was, I've, it seems from all, uh, you know, objective measures that I can see that it was just a better place to live under Rhodesia, despite its problems. And, and we see this oftentimes when people want change immediately and they want things done right away and uh, overnight, uh, it can cause all sorts of problems. Whereas I, I wonder if, if they'd allowed them to change more gradually, if it could have, if it could have ended in a happy, had a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. We can actually talk about the song, but, um, <laughs> So, and I think you're right, uh, Patrick, but I think that, that, that way of thinking of it, there's literally a book about it called the white man's burden. And it was yeah. written, but it was written around the era of, of Cecil Rose, kind of like the early turn of the century where the, the, the prevailing theory. And again, this is a very monarchist British kind of thinking was, oh, we're more refined. We're more educated. We're more blessed so we need to go help the native, the savage, the whatever you want to call them, you yeah. know? And so that, again, very common at the turn of the century, even in the U.S., um, yeah. like famous, famously, um, um, Theodore Roosevelt was kind of like that. You know, the, the mm -hmm. term, I think the term for him was like jingo or jingoist or whatever, but it's basically like, we're, we're better than you. So we will invade you and take over your country so we can take care of you. Kind of a yeah. kind of idea, very strange way of thinking, but very normal at one point in time. But I think their issue here is it was not normal in the 60s and 70s. Yes. You know, 1860s, yeah. 1870s, sure. Not in 1960, 1970. Yeah. So. And, it, it, yeah. and it goes back to what I said earlier, that they're just, Rhodesia was just stuck between the old and the new, and they really didn't have a path forward. And they just really were between a rock and a hard place. And it just, the whole country kind of imploded. It's a really sad story. But but yeah, I think you're 100% right. This, this, this paternalism. And then in the 1960s, it's like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. And they're like, well, we still do. <laughs> and then it's like, well, stop. And they're like, how? Because if we just turn it all over, it's going to end poorly. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, it was interesting.
Yeah. So, um, but, but the, the end of the story is like they, first it was like, like I said, colony of Southern Rhodesia, they declare this unitary independence. They become Republic of Rhodesia for basically 15, 20 years. Um, and then in, at the, uh, at the end of like the end of 1979, um, they finally kind of made some concessions like Ian Smith did made some concessions and basically said, okay, fine. One man, one vote, but let's work together. Let's make sure we include like the white Rhodesians and the black Rhodesians. And for one year, they had one country that was literally called um, uh, Zimbabwe Rhodesia. It was like from 1979 to 1980. Mm -hmm. um, they had this, this country where they tried to kind of like work it out. And the first thing, um, the first thing that everyone did was, take all the whites out of power, kick all the whites out. And spoiler alert, the communists came to power, Robert Mugabe. First thing he did was massacre any blacks that had supported the Rhodesians, either deported them or straight up just killed them, killed and tortured them in horrible ways, um, killed, or killed or drove out all of the whites and took all their land in a very Soviet type of way and basically gave it to the black Africans to farm, live on whatever. And Zimbabwe is basically famous in this era for one thing, and that's massively rampant inflation, where the money means nothing because they have like a million percent inflation and yeah. just like all of a sudden mass starvation. And uh, and all the whites basically left. And so now there's like less than a quarter of a percent of white Rhodesians that still actually live there. They've all they basically become a displaced people who live in like there's pockets in like the US and Australia and England and Scotland and Ireland, you know, who South just Africa. kind of like, yeah, South Africa as well. Um, and just kind of, you know, remember what the good old days used to be, I guess. But um yeah. But why don't we get to the song? What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah. of a sad story, let's try and de decipher the the song lyrics. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the song "Rome at One Fire" by Rome, um, and I'm sorry, I just because I have to do this. Um, Rome is a single guy. It's just one guy who's from Luxembourg. His name's Jerome Ruder, um, and uh, he's been playing music for about since like 2005. But a lot of his stuff is very historically dense. He's very well read. He's kind of like the, the Decemberists, if you ever listen to them, like very, very historically dense, like very kind of not high minded, but very sort of kind of cerebral type songs, you know, very, 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 a uh, lot, lot of content in there. And, um, and so this particular album uh, that this came from is literally called a passage to Rhodesia, which came out in 2014. And so this is a song off that album, but the whole album is about Rhodesia, the country, the war, the after effects, all that kind of stuff. And the picture of it is actually a picture of the country of Rhodesia with like a soldier on it. Um, so, um, but it's, uh, he's probably the only famous person from Luxembourg that I could think of. <laughs> Cause the only he's one I know. Yeah. yeah he's <laughs> Luxembourgish, but um, anyway, but the song's in English. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's what this is about. But why and don't the, we... the album name is A Passage to Rhodesia. Right. So... Yeah. Yeah. Passage to Rhodesia. Exactly. Um, I have no idea what inspired him to write this because he's never been there. He's not old enough to have lived there because he's like a millennial, basically, this guy. Um, but why don't we uh, why don't we get into the lyrics? Um, Patrick, do you have the, the lyrics pulled up? Yeah, you want me to read the first few lines? Yeah, yeah, I want you to read like the first verse or whatever. Okay, it says, We won't reveal our ailments and what haunts our sleep nightly. In this tiny little world, we've locked ourselves in so tightly. And the dead stand between us like wreaths and the people we've abandoned, the life we've surrendered to the streams. 
And then cool. the and then the the chorus is, Oh Rhodesia, I've given you my all. Now I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Yeah. And that's the chorus that he keeps coming back to. Yeah. So um now I, I will say, like, I'm glad we have the lyrics here because he, he's not super clear when he sings and he does have a slight accent. And so mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what he was saying in the beginning. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's some different layers of what he puts in his lyrics. Cause I think there's a lot of references to different things in there. Um, but, but I've been talking for a while now. What, what do you guys like, what, what calls out to you from this like first verse or the chorus, you know, anything meaningful to you, anything that kind of struck you at all? Well, it seems sad, like a lament. Yeah. Um, so, so it, I, th- I think it's um, thinking back to what could have been in Rhodesia or, um, or maybe from the perspective of someone shortly after it, it fell. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cryptic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, what comes to mind for me is, um, how a Rhodesian must've felt towards the end of the, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bush wars coming to an end, the country's coming to an end. You've spent your life, your father, your grandfather spent their lives building a farm or a home there. Um, and now you've got some stuff, you've got a nice little life there. Maybe you fought, maybe you've had friends die and you've tried to preserve this, this place. And now it's nothing. And and you're like, I've given my whole life. My family's given their whole lives and everything. And now what do we have to show for it? Nothing. It's gone. Yeah. That was kind of, that was, especially the chorus. That was kind of my thing is like, like, it, I think it's just all Rhodesians, but I think especially the guys that fought. Yeah. And, you know, fought, were wounded, died, that kind of thing. Um, because it's like, dude, like I've given literally my life, everything I have. And for what? Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing, nothing to show for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think it's but, interesting, the chorus, instead of it, it's not, I have nothing. It's, I am nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's a sad way to put it. Right. Well, because imagine being a Rhodesian and saying, and, so, and you, and you meet someone for the first time, like an American or, you know, someone that's, that doesn't know like, Oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm Rhodesian. Where the huh? heck is that? You, not even on a map. In fact, mm-hmm. to find a map or a globe that has Rhodesia is actually super rare. It's so rare to find a, a, a map that has that on there um, because it's from a very short period of time. So it's either a British colony of Southern Rhodesia and whatever, or Zimbabwe. And yeah. so it's like, you're, you basically become like a, like a, what's the word? Not a, not a classless people, but like a, a, a people with no, no homeland, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, this, like, is oh, a, this is kind of calling up, um, making me think a little bit of, uh, the, the episode we did with Nim with the, the fry Corps that, that were the, the, um, yeah. the Germans that were in the, in the core land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that kind of Baltic, got Baltic Germans. Place. Yeah. They, and they got kicked out by communists um, and, and then they didn't have any, like they were, their family was there for hundreds of years in that case. And uh, yeah. it's always out. commies, man. It is every time freaking commies, man, From the North, you ruin everything. Um, so one, yeah, I, I had the same exact thought as it starts off as a lament and even like, even like the, like the rhythm he sings in kind of the way that he has kind of like this sort of kind of low haunting way of singing these lyrics. It definitely is a lament, Scott. I think that's a good point. Um, but like, we won't reveal our ailments and what haunts our sleep nightly in this tiny little world. We've locked ourselves in so tightly. So that makes me think of like maybe living in Rhodesia, right? They've locked ourselves in so tightly because um, something that happened is the moment that Rhodesia 
um, declared itself independent and started fighting this Bush war, they were, they were boycotted, like actually boycotted by every country except Portugal. Every country you can list did based not- Portugal. Based Portugal, that's right. <laughs> but every country, <laughs> even our own United States, did, did not support them at all. Not, not monetarily, not militarily, didn't offer them supplies, absolutely nothing except Portugal and only for the first few years. And, um, and so um, one, one of the things that Rudisha is known for is this incredible, not just resilience, but basically just, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But, but having to do with very little and mm. basically taking the, the minimal resources they have. It's scrappy. But yeah, basically being scrappy. So all their vehicles were made in country. You know, they even have like weapons that they would like design and modify in country, you know, like this, these Rhodesian, Rhodesian versions of things because they couldn't get supplies, raw materials from anywhere. And well, all they there, had there was obviously sympathy for them, just not at a governmental level because they were getting they were they were getting recruitments from around the world right yeah I, yeah and i i think i think that kind of goes back to our episode two scott where where um like these mercenary type guys like just mercs mm-hmm. because there's a certain type of dude and that, that's just that's that's what he he does you know he he fights there's just fighters out there that like to find a conflict and i think that especially if you're like a caucasian guy it's like no i, I have to go protect my people you know i think that's some kind of i don't know if it's a blood memory or what but i think there's just a there's there's a there's that a will to fight for something like that um, that's in a lot of men. And so I think that's part of it. Um, and I don't yeah. think there were many, I mean, there were some, but I, it wasn't a ton of support. They, they, they'd gather some, some mercenaries from here and there, but it, it, it was, they were mostly just uh, yeah. Scrappy. Like yeah. you said, pulling yep. it together on their yeah. own. Yeah. And so I think that's what it is. Like we're not revealing our ailments. We're not revealing what haunts our, our sleep nightly. The fact that we're like, under embargo by every known country on earth and we're landlocked. So we can't even get stuff from the ocean. Um, and so like, you want to talk about like not having, not having stuff, not, 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 I'm not talking about soldiers on the front line. I'm talking about like just mom and pop back home, your wife back home, you know, like not having a lot, like, well, you're, you're sacrificing everything just for the, the right to exist as the country you want to have. Um, and so this tiny little world that would, that makes me think of Rhodesia, we've locked ourselves in so tightly they're landlocked, but also they've locked themselves in because they're refusing to comply with what queen England wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dead stand between us like wreaths and the people we've abandoned the life we've surrendered to the streams. Um, so very beautiful. Um, I I've seen it. I've seen some notes on this verse that say that like the, what haunts our sleep nightly is a, re- a reference to Macbeth uh, because there's a, there's a, a, um, a scene in Macbeth where he says the affliction of these terrible dreams that shake us nightly. Um, and like wreaths is basically what they would place on doors when someone died. Um, it's, it's a, it's a common British thing. Like they have the poppy wreath and they place that over like the graves of the dead um, streams. Um, I don't know. Apparently they like, I learned from studying before this, that Rome, the singer, this dude is like, he's kind of not well known, but he has like some die hard, like super fans who are like obsessed with him. And so apparently there's all these like conspiracy theories about how he tries to have like this idea of like a river of life or a stream of life that he has to like put into all of his lyrics and they're all connected somehow. So I don't know, but anyway, um, um, yeah, jumping back to the, so, some of the support, um, maybe you know the answer to this. I, I'm curious. It just popped in my head. Now, was South Africa supporting them at the time? 
Yes, they were. So white South Africa, up until they had their end of apartheid, they did support Rhodesia, um, like, like with supplies and military, cause they're right next door. They share a border. Mm-hmm. So, so white South Africa did support them for a long time until it kind of became like not in vogue to support them. Um, but I think a large contingent of the mercenaries that Rhodesia used were white South Africans, you know, the yeah. Afri- Afrikaners, basically mm-hmm. um, some, some of the British Afrikaners, uh, British, South Africans, but a lot of Afrikaners. Um, they also had a lot of um, uh, Portuguese guys from Mozambique and from Portugal as well. There were some Americans or some Brits and some Aussies and, you know, other people as well. And they would kind of form these little um, like, you know, cores or, or um, squads of, of, um, you know, overseas mercenaries that they would train like a regular Rhodesian and send them out into the bush. Um, and there's actually a small contingent of American um mercs that served with them and they called themselves the crippled eagles and these were all guys that had served in like vietnam and stuff like that who kind of became jaded with the idea of like fighting the vietnam war and so they would go enlist their services for rhodesia instead because they felt like it aligned more with their their psyche their way of looking at the world i guess um but yeah so primarily it was south africa and and um portugal for a short time that supported rhodesia but nobody else Everyone else supported the communist guerrillas. Yeah, because we had we had mentioned the FAL rifle, and and, and it, what made me think of it is just uh, I I uh, had you know studying that rifle, uh, the history of it. I remember that there was a, most of the ones that they had, I believe, had come from South Africa. So I think it was South Africa supplying them with with the, the small arms and maybe some other stuff too. But but yeah, uh, not a whole lot of support, not a whole lot of uh, of anything, and just kind of everyone them against the world, kind of. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the idea that he's going for here. Um, and you know what, that the, the, the thing you read, the O Rhodesia, I've given you my all and now I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. That's the first part of the chorus. There's actually a second part of the chorus. Do you want to read it, Patrick? The yeah. one fire? Yeah. It says one fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Rights by rights falter, strengths by strengths do fail. Yeah. Now, that is a little deep for me. I don't know exactly what he, I think he's saying like fight fire with fire. But other than that, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what he's referring to there. The name of the song is one fire, obviously, but other than that, I, I don't know what else to pick apart from, from that one. Do you guys have any thoughts on that part? Yeah, there's a I couple mean, different. Oh, go ahead. No, you Scott. go. You go. Um, there's a couple different ways you can interpret it. The first line, one fire fights one fire. I think the simplest way to interpret it is there's one fire. It's fighting another fire. Um, another way that I kind of popped in my head was a firefight is a, a military conflict. So well, specifically in Rhodesia, yeah. fire, fire force was like the term they developed for going out and fighting in the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so one, and then, and then, so one firefight, um, I, what, what came to my head and I have no idea if this is what he meant, but what came to my head is all these farms burning one fire, one firefight you know, these fires popping up here and there farms burning these fires in the book, these fight firefights in the bush, one nail, one nail. Um, I'm not sure what the nail means. Maybe um, these structures that have, been, that have been built nail by nail, the rights that they had, you know, established and they built this little uh, colonial provincial government here. Now they're starting to falter. They're starting to fall apart and the strengths that they had are starting to fail. That's kind of, that's kind of what I thought I had. What, what, what is, what are your thoughts? 
I'd buy that. I was thinking while you were talking, Patrick, I hadn't thought about this before, but while you were talking, the the one fire fights one fire. I think I think that's spot on what you said. The one nail, one nail. What it made me think of just now is like a nail in a coffin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's smarter than me and probably a super fan of Rome actually pointed out that most of that verse is actually a Shakespeare quote from Coriolanus. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cor- Coriolanus, I am not this smart. I've heard of Coriolanus. They made a movie about it where it's like modern day, but it's, it's kind of like the Romeo and Juliet, like the new one from the nineties, like golden boy, but they did one for Coriolanus where it's like the original Shakespeare story, but told in modern day. And mm-hmm. the idea of Coriolanus is this guy is like a war hero. He comes back and he's later betrayed by his friend who's in the government and everything. But um, there's a line from, um, from that play um, that says one fire drives out one fire, one nail, one nail, rights by rights falter, strengths, strengths by strengths do fail. Come, let's away. When when Caius, Rome is thine, thou art poorest of all, then shortly art thou mine. So, um, but but that's almost a direct lift from that play. So I again, I am not literary enough to, <laughs> to extrapolate that, but but um that's interesting though. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't Scott, know that either. I had yeah. no clue. Yeah. Scott, any, any, uh, any, uh, you got any zingers? Oh no. Um, yeah, I, am not, I, I haven't studied that enough to, to pull anything out of it. No worries. Um, so he, yeah, he repeats that one fire part of the chorus twice, and then it starts, I guess it'd be verse two with the, all that's left now. Scott, you want to get that one? Yeah. <laughs> all that's left now are dreams of Kings. We've murdered to dissect, to dissect. For our meddling intellect, mis- mishap or misshapes the be- beauteous forms of things. So we bleat a little, twist a little, rotting in the belly of the beast while you feel you cannot be wrong. I think this, I think most of this one goes over my head too. But what, what do you guys got on this one? <laughs> yeah, the, the, these lyrics are, are very cryptic and uh, they, they're they more, we've talked about this in other episodes where. There are some lyrics that, that are meant to just evoke a feeling like they're just like words that are placed in the right order to, to evoke a feeling, not necessarily like be super direct in what's going on. Yeah. So. Well, sometimes sometimes I wonder if, if guys like like art, like this guy's an artist, right? Musician, mm-hmm. music is an art. And I think I think this guy, Rome, Jerome Root or whatever his name is. I think he might be functioning on a higher plane than me when he writes some of this stuff, because I think he's putting this in here by design. I don't think there's because there's some artists, I think a lot like in the, in the, the emo and pop punk scene where it's like, Oh dude, this sounds so cool. And put this in a song, you know, but I think this yeah. dude is like, no, I'm like, you know, a brainiac. I'm going to put a bunch of like Shakespeare and Wordsworth or what Longfellow, sorry, Longfellow quotes in my songs about Rhodesia. And it's like, dude, what I, what? <laughs> so I don't know. Patrick, what do you think, man? Yeah, going backwards from in, in the second part first, I think the second part's the easier part to understand. It says, so we bleed a little, twist a little, rotting in the belly of the beast while you feel you cannot be wrong. So I think that is, uh, you know, bleat uh, brings to mind the sound of a small, like a lamb or something, something not very powerful. They bleat a little, they're making some noise, they're twisting a little, they're they're thrashing around while they're rotting in the belly of the beast. They're, they're a small animal that's been devoured by this larger beast. So Rhodesia is facing the world. The world is against them. Everyone is pouring in money and, and weapons and support to their enemies, and they have no support. And that you feel, he's talking to the rest of the world, you feel you cannot be wrong. You're doing all this to us. 
and we're here suffering, fighting as far hard as we can. Uh, and you feel you cannot be wrong. So, um, that's, I, I, that, that is to me is a, um, you know, a direct, uh, uh, indictment of the, the people who support, who were get, stood against Rhodesia. You know, they, 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 they thought they were on the, they had the moral high ground and everything was, they were doing everything right. Yeah. Who, who would be their friend under, under different circumstances. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and, uh, so that's interesting. You say that I actually like that interpretation a lot better because I took it a different way. I took it as, um, cause, because it's a little bit later in the song now. And so if we're kind of following along the timeline, I took it as maybe he's trying to tell the story of Rhodesians who have given their all now to fight the, the, um, you know, the communists and, and, and you, you Rhodesians in power. So like, this is a, this is a local Rhodesian talking to like the prime minister or the cabinet, whatever saying, look, we've been bleeding. We've been, we've been crying, burning in the belly of the beast. And you think you can't be wrong. And mm-hmm. all you have to do to make it stop is to, um, is to grant universal suffrage or whatever, you know, Interesting. And, but, but I like, I like, I like your interpretation better. Cause that makes a lot more sense. And one thing I like is that line we, cause it's not bleed it's bleat. Like mm-hmm. a, like a, like a, like a, um, a, a sheep or something. We bleat mm-hmm. a little, twist a little rotting in the belly of the beast while you feel you cannot be wrong. That's all. That's kind of a very African imagery that it's, that's putting in there. Cause it makes me think of like a lion eating a gazelle or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was very, very African imagery. Um, the, yeah. the first, the first part of that, I, I, I don't know what to make of it exactly. All that's left now are dreams of Kings we've murdered to dissect for our meddling intellect misshapes the beauteous forms of things The the meddling intellect misshaping the beauteous forms of things. That's a, I don't know. That seems like something that's, um, that's, that's commonly, uh, spoken about today where things are hyper intellectualized. People have these little, um, theories on how the world should be. And when they try to apply them, it misshapes the beauty of the world because they try to intellectualize. They try to say, well, this is the way things should be. And they have, have this little, you know, uh, idealistic framework for how everything's supposed to fit together. And when they try to shape the world that way, it ends up misshaping things that are beautiful. And so they, they, you know, to, to me, that fits this scenario of there's this country with very, in a very complicated situation and the external power saying one man, one vote. And that's mm-hmm. the way we do things. Do it, and it just yeah. uh, broke it apart. Right. Well, and who's saying that? Literally, their former overlords, like their former queen. This is Queen Elizabeth, by the way. Queen Elizabeth II was the queen at this time. So this is the, this is the Queen Elizabeth saying the queen, the queen saying this, and um, and so th- that's kind of what made me think of is all that's left now are dreams of kings we've murdered to dissect, and that made me think of well because the Rhodesians were what they were at one point subjects of the queen, right? Of royalty and, and, yeah. and subject to Kings and had been for generations. Now, all of a sudden, basically overnight, because they, they, they um, declared independence because they didn't declare independence and declare Ian Smith, a King. He was a prime minister. He was voted in, yeah. you know? And, um, and so it, it's, it made me think of like, well, here's what we've given up, you know, as like these, these dreams of Kings of, you know, the dreams of Kings. Like why did, why did, why did England originally colonize Rhodesia? Well, it's probably for, resources but the whole idea was oh some king probably had a dream to like you know the, the modernize the savage in africa or whatever and also get some money out of the deal or something and now they've given all that up to dissect it and figure out how to run a country or something like that i don't know it's it's again it's it's a little heady for me um 
but as I often do, I did look into like this, like some of the lyrical stuff he wrote in here. And apparently that first, those first two lines that all that's left now are dreams of Kings we've murdered to dissect for our meddling intellect misshapes the beauteous forms of things. It's very poetic, but that's actually a, a line taken from William Wordsworth. Um, I think he has a poem or something like that. And the line is sweet is the lore, which nature brings our meddling intellect misshapes the beauteous forms of things we murder to dissect. So in this one, what he's saying is our meddling intellect, our minds misshape the actual beautiful form of a thing. And we basically murder the thing to dissect it to like, so our intellect can figure out what makes it beautiful or how it works or whatever. Mm hmm. You know, so, so it almost it, it almost seems like pro monarchist, like like they're lamenting the that the, there is no king. We 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 took away the king because we had to figure out how this, I guess, government how it could work, how governance um, works. Yeah, that's a good how point, governance Scott. works. And so now now we're now we're stuck with with a form of government that that we don't want, but the world is imposing. Um, yeah. So. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, then the other thing that I found was um, the 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 line that says, so we bleat a little, twist a little, rotting in the belly of the beast. That is uh, a direct quote from, there's this memoir that was written. Um, it's called When a Crocodile Eats the Sun, a memoir of Africa by this author named Peter Godwin. And I think, I'm not sure if he's an, if he's an intellectual, um, like like an academic or a guy that actually lived there. And he's kind of talking about this idea of like colonialza colonialization by, by of Africans by Europeans and then the decolonialization of Africa. I think it's kind of what, what the book is about. Um, but there's a line from that book that says we we're we are like a goat slowly i'm sorry i can't even read today we're like a goat being slowly devoured by a python we bleat a little twist a little and occasionally kick feebly but on the whole we're afflicted by some lethal lassitude that allows us to accept that we will slowly rot in the belly of the beast so again very heavy poetic stuff and the fact that this guy can weave this into a sad lamenting catchy song about Rhodesia blows my mind because my skills do not lie in that arena that realm um yeah he's obviously very well read and well versed in poetry if he's pulling all these lines and and putting yeah. them all together yeah it's pretty yeah. cool yeah but but well spoken and I, I definitely like you guys interpretations because they're better than what I came up with on the fly um, but so after he says that, you know, while you feel you cannot be wrong and it's the, the chorus again, Oh, Rhodesia given you my all. And now I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, etc. Then, then, then the one fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail repeats that like three or four times. Actually, that's the end, right? He yeah. He repeat. Yeah. He just keeps repeating end. it over and over and over again. Like, like six more, 10 more times, something like that. Yeah. That's when my wife made me turn it off when <laughs> <laughs> I was playing a part. She's like, all right, is this over yet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so the first time I heard this song, um, actually, let, let me, let me, let me go back. I'm sorry. This is, this is, I meant to say this earlier. Um, but my, my experience with Rhodesia, like before studying for today's episode is I had always heard the name Rhodesia and I'd always heard names of like other formerly, formerly um, African European countries or colonies that don't have the same name anymore, like Zaire, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I, I, and so as I often do, because I'm kind of a curious guy, if I ever see stuff like that, I'm like, you know what? What happened to Zaire? Like, why was it called that? And I'll just Google it. You know, what Rhodesia, I've heard of Rhodesia. What is that? 
And so I started kind of studying it on my own. I was like, whoa, dude, this is like kind of sad and depressing because these people are, I mean, I mean, you could say they're just as much African as the black Africans. They've been there for generations. They've worked the land. They've died for the land. They buried children and mothers and fathers there, you know, and, um, and now they have quite literally nothing because the first thing that Mugabe did after kicking out all the whites is he changed everything to quite literally erase the whiteness and erase the Europeanness of the country. So he changed it from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. The capital city was Salisbury or Salisbury. He changed it to Harare. All the other cities that they had, um, he changed them to more African names or African sounding names, sometimes ones that he just invented. They weren't even like a real, that, was, that wasn't even what they were called in their native language because these cities, some of them didn't even exist. The Europeans yeah. built, built them. from nothing. Yeah. Built from nothing. Exactly. And, um, and so that was kind of like the first thing he did. And so it's like, man, that's got to be. I can't imagine being like a state, that's what is a stateless, a stateless person. Like I, mm-hmm. my country does not exist. This yeah, is those, like about, you yeah. said, those, those Rhodesians, they're, they're as Rhodesian as I am American, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my, let's see, my great, great grandfather came here from England and that's like the first, you know, O-borns that came here. And yeah. like, you could, you could have Rhodesians that are just as old. You yeah. Know? Hundred yeah. percent, been there as long as yeah, yeah, like two gener what two three generations, you know yeah that's sad, crazy man. yeah well what's also crazy is the fact that that they they that these people both both the 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 whites and the black Africans had the highest standard of living in Africa while being in a war, you know yeah and like and and, and basically being boycotted by every country except for two you know the, which are also African countries. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. So, it's so just, looking back, um, what's like the general consensus of Rhodesia? Like, like who's, who misses it? Who's, who's glad they're gone? Oh, it, all the, the, uh, respectable people are glad it's gone. If you like if the people on CNN and uh, that would be invited are, are glad it was a, it was a racist country and we're happy that it's gone. And, and if you lamented it anyway, you're probably a white supremacist. Like that's what it is. And it's very sad because that's, that's just not reality. It's just not the reality of, of what happened. It was, and it, it, it strikes me as odd. I'm not a, as well-versed on the history as, as, uh, as others. So maybe I should dig into it more, but it seemed to me like South Africa was worse in just about every way. Um, in, in terms of racial relations and somehow they survived and they, 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 uh, they didn't implode and turn into a communist hellhole. Or was the British uh, influence still? Yeah. I wonder if it's that or because they had that, like, like you said, Patrick, they had access to the ocean. They had ports, uh, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but R- South Africa is a whole nother can of worms because in Rhodesia, Everyone that was that was white was more or less formally like British. You know, they they had some like yeah. some Dutch people in there. You know, some Afrikaners and that kind of thing. But more, more off, the official language was English. Yes. You know, and and they were basically formally a crown colony. Whereas South Africa kind of had this weird where you know a large portion of the country are these Boers. You know, these mm-hmm. these these Dutch settlers that speak Afrikaans, which is basically like ghetto Dutch. The other half are black Africans that speak African languages. The other part of them are like straight up like British colonials that speak only English, you know, and none of them like each other. And they've had a couple, they've had, they've had two wars um, before apartheid. They had two wars where the British are fighting against the, 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 the Dutch, you know, the Boers. Um, And, 
and uh, like in the, the early turn of the century. And so it's just I, the, that country is somehow even more complicated than Rhodesia. But to answer your question succinctly, Scott, I have no idea why um, why South Africa was able to hold out so much longer than Rhodesia. I, I don't really, I really don't know. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. So why don't we hear about it so much? Like I, I, I had very little knowledge of Rhodesia. Uh, you know, I don't know. I So uh, like I said, I, I'd heard the name thrown around here or there. It's like, oh, Rhodesia, formerly Rhodesia. I never knew what it meant until I researched it myself. But I've, I've seen some news articles from a couple of years ago. There was that that weirdo, like um, that weirdo dude that went and shot up. What did he shoot up? Uh, is it Dylan Roof? Is that his name? Oh, yeah. He shot up that black church. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Muslim church. I forget what it was, black church or Muslim church or whatever. I forget what it was. But that was like, I don't know, was it five, six, seven years ago? But he he wrote a manifesto, as these weird dudes often do, and he called it the last Rhodesian. And supposedly, while he was shooting up this church, he had a Rhodesian flag, like the country's flag, like pinned on his vest or something like that. I think he had like a South African one, too. And I don't think he had no ties to Rhodesia. He wasn't from there. He was an American, I think. or maybe, I think he was an American. Um, but I, I think that's kind of when it sort of like had a slight resurgence in, in the news was because everyone's like the last Rhodesian, what the heck's Rhodesian, yeah. you know? And they had to kind of Google it because no one, no one ever hears about this because the country existed for 15 yeah. years. Yeah. You know? That's, that's probably the answer to the question is yeah. it's just kind of a blip. Yeah. As far yeah. as, as far as being an official country, um, the, the, the um, English settlement or not settlement, but you know, the, the, it is, it had been around for, like you said, 1890s. So yeah, like 70 years. Um, part, part of the reason I think it's not talked about is because it's a, it's a failure of, of uh, this uh, neoliberalism. It's a, it's a, it's a failure. It's like they did what they, you know, they went the direction that the, the, the neoliberal world order wanted it to go in. And it, and it was a disaster, just a complete and utter disaster. They, they don't really want to talk about that in, in many ways. It feels to me like the first like woke culture or cancel culture it's a country that got canceled you know yeah. it's like you, you can't do this we're canceling they canceled, you and then they canceled rhodesia they canceled it you know because it wasn't doing That's the right hilarious. thing and so but yeah it just seemed like uh they just they were like well this is the way we do things now and, and didn't really look at the reality of what was really going on and uh and we know what happened so yeah. so patrick you, you submitted the song why, why should we be talking about and remembering rhodesia Oh, uh, it's well, for one, it's just a, I, I just like good stories and good history and good. And it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating story. Um, uh, two, uh, just being able to, um, I don't know. We have so much of this idealistic, um, these, these idealistic narratives nowadays where everything has to be this certain way. And, and, and we don't look at things critically uh, and realize that there's, uh, you know, part of the reason I started my podcast was because I felt like there's a little bit of disrespect towards the the old way of doing things. Nowadays, we we worship the modern, we worship the new, and we we denigrate that that which is old. And I I don't think I mean there's a big difference between technological knowledge and wisdom. And while we may be steeped in information and we just are buried in it. Uh, I think there's a lack of wisdom, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, our grandparents, great grandparents, and 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 uh, ancestors had a lot of wisdom, and we can learn things from that. And so this is a story of of change. In my opinion, it's the, the real story is 
to rapid change. They're trying to make these changes happen too fast in a place where it was very complicated. They went and they tried to shove their their this these new views that all the rest of the world had done. And Rhodesia was lagging behind and you don't lag behind. We march forward with progress and this is what we're going to do. And it crushed an entire people and scattered them everywhere. And people died and people starved. And um, it's just a very sad story. Yeah. And there are, there are books about this stuff. Like there are Rhodesian guys that served in the Bush war that, that wrote memoirs that you can yeah. find still in print currently in current year now on, um, on Amazon, you know, there's a bunch of them and they're, 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 they're I've read, I've read one. I have another one I'm going to read. It's on my, on my to read list, but they're very well done. Cause these guys are educated. Like, you know, they, they speaking when they're written in English, you don't have to translate them. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a sad story because it, sometimes if you look at stuff with a critical eye, like you were saying, Patrick, you're like, well, are the black Africans, Africans in Zimbabwe, they might be okay now. Uh, Zimbabwe is probably okay now, but look, look at the black Africans from the years that the, that the Brits or the Rhodesians were in power versus Zimbabwe in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. And it's not hard to see who was better off because Zimbabwe, like, like every country had this huge civil war, massive starvation. Um, Robert Mugabe was this literal uh, Soviet style dictator who mm-hmm. would have these secret police. They called them the fifth brigade that would go out and, and just, they'd go into like different tribal lands. Cause there's various tribes in, in these black Af- African countries in different tribal lands, just massacre people, 30,000 people, 80,000 people kill them, you know, mm-hmm. or they'd starve to death. And it's like, you know what? Okay. I'm just thinking of myself, you know, maybe I can't vote, but at least I can eat, you know, maybe I can't vote, but at least my neighbor isn't trying to hack me to death and my wife to death with a machete. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, I don't, I don't know. It's almost, it's almost like your, uh, your podcast episode today, Patrick, which is, um, what was it? It's the, the, the bread one, right? It's yeah. not half a loaf half, is better than no loaf. Half a loaf is better than no bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of what it was making me think of is like, look, you know, Maybe it maybe a gradual approach to this would have been a better a better outcome for everyone involved. Less yes. less death, less deaths for sure. Um, but I think part of the problem is is this is the late 60s. Like what was going on in our own country in the late 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin Luther King, civil rights. And it was all about no, you got that we need change now. This can't mm-hmm. take five, 10 years. It has to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and and change like that. It can happen overnight, but it's, it's messy, especially if you do it real quick, you know? Um, yeah. So, so it's, it sounds like Rhodesia kind of lagged behind the rest of the world as far as these uh, more progressive forms of, of government and, and uh, social stuff, but it seems like they also had a late start, right? Like they, 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 uh, so because America, like, like like we were talking about earlier, like I'm just as American as they were Rhodesian. Um, we we had we have the privilege, I guess, of colonizing in the 1700s, 1800s, um, when when it was okay to do that. Uh, Rhodesia, time he, time it, heals all wounds, as they say. <laughs> it's, it's it's essentially what I'm getting at. Um, the Rhodesians it, it didn't happen until the late 1800s into the 1900s, and and then. Yeah, it just happened too late for them. Yeah, yeah, they were in the they were in the wrong 
place at the wrong time of history. And it's, yeah. it's a tragedy that, that, that that's what happened. Um, you know, uh, you, you, we, we look down at the kind of the paternalistic views that they had at those times that, uh, but we have to remember when they got there, there was really a whole lot of nothing. I mean, there was, there were, there were these tribes, but they didn't have, you know, uh, hospitals. Like they just didn't have hospitals. They didn't have, you know, schools like we had or infrastructure. Well, they, didn't, or they didn't have a written language. They didn't have a written language. A lot of time. Yeah. And so the Europeans did come and, and there were these, these groups of people that were, you know, um, you know, I, I believe they're children of God, just like the rest of us, but, uh, but they were, they were technologically pretty far behind. So the Europeans came and started building stuff and, and then uh, uh, when when the communist influences started coming in saying, hey, well, we deserve part of this too. And it's like, well, that's not how we do things. We built it so it's ours. And uh, you could participate in the, in the process to an extent. We can give you a job. You can you know, do this, that, and the other. You can have a home. But uh, but what's what the person who built it is it's his. The person who built this farm belongs to him. The person who built this factory belongs to him. And uh, and and then uh, with the racial element uh, and the civil rights and everything coming through, it kind of just crashed all and, and, and all came to a head. Yeah, I think the, so I think true. the argument could be made that the outcome is the way it is because of the racial element alone. I don't think, yeah. it, I don't think yeah. it's so much the communist capitalist thing, you know, that, that, that's its own issue. But if this was like whites against whites, you know, then, then well, the story I also, would have been much different. I agree hundred percent. I, I do think that the communists have a long history of co-opting civil rights movements. I mean, they, they've been doing that forever. They, they, they'll latch on to any, any time that there's a us versus them, they'll be like, Oh yeah, this is us. You know, this it's a is class, proletari- a struggle. It's a class struggle. proletariat versus bourgeois. These what we've been yep. talking about. Yeah. Yep. Black, white, doesn't matter. It's all the same. Yep. It's we hate them and they hate us and let's, let's kill each other. And yep. so, um, yeah, that's what, how, what ends up happening every time. Right. Yeah. And so, so just to, um, to add, to add like a little bit of color, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but um, you were mentioning um, uh, Patrick earlier, like uh, you, you threw out Zanu and Zanla and Zipra and Zapu. So what these are, are these communist guerrilla groups that were funded by every communist country in the sixties and seventies. And um, Zanu is what it stands for is the, is the Zimbabwe African national union. There's a militant socialist organization. Um, Zanla is a Zimbabwe African national liberation army. So just, these are all just different groups that kind of work together, sometimes together, sometimes not. Zapu is the Zimbabwe African people's union. But again, just it's basically communists doing what communists do and starting these guerrilla groups that have these really long names um, that have the word people's something in there. And so they're, they're using their AK 47s. A lot of these guys, um, these, these, a lot of these leaders for these um, like, like uh, Zipra and Zanla and, and Zanu, a lot of them um, were, were straight up tra- trained in North Korea. Like they would take their 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 generals and their commanders and whatever, fly them to Moscow or fly them to Cuba or fly them to Pyongyang, North Korea, and train them in guerrilla tactics. Train them in how to um, like live off the land, how to shoot an AK-47, and then send them back to Rhodesia or the countries around Rhodesia so they could sort of like just wreak havoc on the countryside. And um, you're mentioning earlier fire. And so fire force is the term that the Rhodesian army 
um, basically invented for their style of fighting. And it was very much a Vietnam thing. So what would they, what they would do is again, they had to use what they had on hand. So they would have all these special, uh, special aircraft they would use like an alouette is a specific kind of French uh, helicopter that that's all they had. And so they would basically dress it up like a military helicopter and they would, they would have these um, it's very fascinating if you're into military tactics to read a fire force um, uh, operation very fascinating how because it would have like four helicopters and like one would be point and the other ones would be like land guys and um the the Rhodesians would have these squads and I think it was a squad of four I think which is odd because that's all that could fit on the helicopter but they were called sticks like S-T-I-C-K-S, sticks. And each guy had a job. There was one guy that was like the communications and the medic. There was one guy that was the heavy. You know, he had like the, he had the FN, but he didn't have the FAL. He, FAL, he had like the, the you know, the 50 cal or whatever, the big gun, you know? And then there was one guy that was like the, the, the commander. And so what they would do is when they'd get these calls of, oh, we have some, they never called them, they never called them um, like blacks or anything like that. It was never a racial thing. It was always a communist insurgency or terrorists. That was always the terms they used to describe their enemy was terrorists or communists. And, um, and so there was, oh, we have terrorist activity over on such and such farm over here on the, on the frontier. And so these guys would fly out in these helicopters or sometimes jump out of a plane and literally land in the bush. And they would find these little like campouts where these, these gorillas were and just kill them, capture them, drive them back into the neighboring, neighboring countries, whatever it was. And then they would literally wait out there for a convoy to come pick them up or until the next day or a week later when the plane or the, not the plane, but the helicopter would come back and pick them up. Like just that's wild. Some solid dudes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, and, it, it's and there were falls too. Like yeah, it's out the jungle, you know, and, and important to note that there were some blacks that fought alongside the Rhodesians and mm-hmm. you know, with the Rhodesian army. It wasn't, uh, yeah. wasn't entirely a, a, a racial divide. Well, yeah. And that was the thing is they, they actually, they conscripted. And so the white, so the first people to fight and the first ones to die were the white Rhodesians. They were the ones that were drafted first. Every young man, when you turned 18, just like our draft, same thing, you turn 18, you spend your, t- your, your two years in the military and you cycle back out and you come back or whatever. So same thing, but towards later on in, in, in the, in the war, like the, the mid to late seventies, um, they started drafting everybody. And so they would take African volunteers and, and there's interviews. You can look on YouTube, there's interviews of these guys. And, and so it'd be a black African fighting with the Rhodesian army against other black Africans. Like, Hey man, why are you fighting? He's like, cause I don't want to be communist. I don't want yeah. communists taking over my country. I've seen what communism does and I do not want that here. Yep. And, and the, the other side of that coin is, you know, that after the war, that guy either had to escape with his life or he was definitely killed and his family too yeah. by Robert Mugabe. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the, the numbers aren't anything to like write home about as far as like, cause it wasn't a big war, but it was just basically Rhodesia with some help from, you know, Merck's. But um, they had like they had about 10, 11,000 regular soldiers, the Rhodesians did, with like about 15,000 in reserve. They also had a lot of police, you know, kind of policing the area for, for communists. Um, so I think altogether, you're probably looking at like 20, 25,000 guys in uniform that are in various, um, various jobs. Um, but the, the guerrillas, it's, it's an estimate, but they're thinking it's like between 25 to like 40,000. Is, is who they're fighting against. And these are guys from Rod- like Rhodesia, all other countries, but all of them are, are funded, fed, armed by communists around the world. And at the end of it, 
they estimate about 10,000 gorillas have been killed versus about 13 to 1400 Rhodesian service members. So very one-sided conflict. And part of that is the training and the equipment from Rhodesia was just better. Yeah. Um, but, but um, our, our good friend, Dr. Bennett from our Mongolian throat singing episode about Genghis Khan, um, he had a tweet a little while back that he, he read a book called a handful of hard men. And it's about the Rhodesians kind of holding out in Rhodesia. And he said that the Rhodesians, they could have held on forever. They could have fought this war forever. It was so one-sided and they had such high body counts on the side of the gorillas that, that they, they, they could have held out forever. What they couldn't hold out against was the international community. And that is, a, is, 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 was like the, the sort of like what sealed their fate is, is this, the lack of support from the international community. And specifically in 1975, when the Carnation Revolution happened in Portugal, where they basically had this like coup that took over the current reigning um, uh, um, kind of dictator, not really a dictator, but the current president of Portugal, who was very pro-colonialism, um, like basically overnight, Portugal became not, not an ally at all. And Mozambique became Mozambique, like African Mozambique. And then they, and they, they, they became an enemy almost overnight versus they were an ally the day before, you know? And, and so that's kind of what the, um, what the, um, I guess what sealed the fate for these people. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. But um, last fun fact is when uh, actually two fun facts, sorry, two fun facts. Um, I was, I was looking this up. And um, so the, the independence day for Rhodesia, the day that they signed their, their unilateral um, declaration of independence, their UDI, it's, it stands for unilateral declaration of independence. Like I said, um, it was uh, November 11th, 1965. So for those keeping track at home, that is armistice day. That's the day world war one ended. Mm-hmm. And so, so when we're all celebrating, you know um, what do we, what do we call it in America? It's Memorial day. Which one's in November? The Veterans Day? Which one's the one that's in November? Because it's Armistice Day in, in the UK and like in the British, you know, Commonwealth countries. But I forgot what we call it. But I was anyways, mixed up too. Yeah, but that, that was their, that was their, um, that was their um, Independence Day. And, uh, and so, like I said, like finally in 1979, they succumbed to international pressure and they became for one year Zimbabwe Rhodesia. That was the name of the country, Zimbabwe Rhodesia. It lasted for one year. Robert Mugabe took over. They got majority rule. It became basically a communist country overnight and, um, and became Zimbabwe after that. And in 1980, that's when they became Zimbabwe, um, the, none other than Prince Charles, now King Charles, as a representative of the UK, quote unquote, signed uh, Zimbabwe their independence in 1980. So the current King of England is the one that signed Zimbabwe's independence, like their independence slip, because up until then, England had not recognized that Rhodesia was no longer a colony. That's fascinating. Or, or country. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this, you're right. Like you said before, Scott, this does not go back very far. No, that's 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the current King of England, it was him. At the time he was Prince Charles, but he was Prince Charles for like 80 years. But at the time he was Prince Charles, but he was the one that actually signed the, the independence you know, recognition or whatever for Zimbabwe, not for Rhodesia, for Zimbabwe in 1980. So 
How is this not cancel culture? This is the same thing, man. Same thing we're seeing today. The little Zanu and Zapus are the Antifas that we're not scared of because we could beat up on them all day. But when they've got the Justice Department behind them and when they've got your HR department behind them and when they got all this, you can't stand up to that. So that's the real problem. This is, this is I, it's hard to not draw parallels to, to the same communist playbook that's happening all over. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so any, any parting thoughts about Rhodesia, the song? Rome, history, Zimbabwe? Uh, no, just uh, learn some history. Take some time to study it. If, you, if there's a, if there's a, one little thing that's interesting, one little story or piece of time, time uh, that's interesting, just start start looking it up. It really is, uh, I think, rewarding to learn about things that have happened in the past and maybe you'll gain a little wisdom along the way. Yeah, yeah. Or, or learn to not repeat a mistake. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to, that's kind of my takeaway is um, I asked you, Patrick, why we should remember it. And I think you just said it, that it it's, there's so many echoes that we're seeing now. Um, and I think it's important to, to, to study this, think about it and think about who you are at, at, at the current time. If it's echoing now, who are you um, in comparison to what was happening then? Um, and then, and then think about how you'll, be, how you'll be remembered. Um, so I like it because well in 40 years will be history. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Remember um, history. Listen right. to the copy book headings podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll get every, to that. We'll get, we'll get to that. Drops every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah. So I, I, the one thing I was going to say is, um, I've only read one book about Rhodesia so far. I've done, I've read lots of articles. I've seen lots of YouTube videos, you know, read the Wikipedia article, I've done all that, but one actual book and the book that I've read is called a martyr speaks. And um, it's actually not called a martyr speaks anymore. This is an original copy from like 1978 or something like that. But it's, it's a guy named John Allen Coey, C O E Y. And this guy was a Vietnam soldier American from like a really Christian background. I think he's like from Pennsylvania or something like that, but he, he volunteered and he saw the, he saw the article in uh, the soldier of fortune magazine. Like you talked about Patrick and basically took him up on their offer to go fight for Rhodesia. But in his mind, he's fighting for God and freedom and the free world. And, and, um, and, and for like the right of people to live with dignity, you know, against communism, his whole thing was hating communism. Right. And so, um, this, this book is, um, he's, he's an American that volunteered to fight for Rhodesia. And so he was a medic. He was a combat medic for the Rhodesian army, went out on many fire force missions. And this book is literally his journal from the front. And, um, it doesn't talk a lot about like the tactics or, or like the actual conflict itself. A lot of it's just kind of his musings on like the world and why he's doing what he's doing. And surprise, surprise, like every country during wartime, Rhodesia was no different. Some of it was because um, a lot of it is, is letters home to his mom is, is, is what it is too. And a lot of those letters were read by the Rhodesian press, another press, but the Rhodesian government and censored. And so a lot of it is like the mom's like, okay, all I got was like these three lines, the rest of it was blacked out or torn up or whatever. Um, oh. But the, the, the end of my rant here is it, this guy is, he's kind of a lot of esoteric stuff that he's talking about, but like, but like it, it aligns with anything you'll hear on right wing Twitter today. So it's not too far off as far as like, it's not way off in the, in the, in, you know, in the weeds or whatever, but, um, but he, he had his final fire force mission. He came under fire and was shot in the head and killed in combat in Rhodesia. 
and he's buried in Rhodesia. He was originally buried in Rhodesia, like full military honors, received a medal from the prime minister, that kind of thing. Um, and so this was his journal and some letters that he wrote to his mom during the war up until the day he died. And after he died, I think in like 1980 or something like that, his mother um, tried to get this published as like, look, this is a man who died for what he believed in. He died. He went to fight. He chose not to fight in, in Vietnam and to fight in, in Africa for his ideals. Whether you disagree or not, that's 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 that takes some some guts. Right. And uh, she tried to get this published and no one would publish it. No one wanted to publish this book because at the time Rhodesia was was a left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. So she literally like published it herself. And so this is published by his mom. And if you look at the book, it has a letter from his mother in the very beginning that talks about her son. And if you want to like request a copy, here's her address right here. Mrs. G.E. Coey, West Liberty, Ohio, right there that says like, you can mail this lady a check for 20 bucks and she'll mail you a copy of this book. Now, wow. I think, I think she's long dead now, but, um, but it's, it's, it, it's it's a it's good in the sense that it really opened my eyes to like this wasn't people this wasn't like how people paint the American Civil War where it's like oh they were just fighting the the Confederates were just fighting because they wanted to enslave all the blacks because they hated black people and it's like no dude these guys had a wider vision and they were fighting for the same thing that that our ancestors fought for in 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 the in our war right the Revolutionary War for the right right of self governance as they saw fit. So rant over. Um, but Patrick, as our guest of honor, um, what are you working on? Where can the kids at home find you? Tell us more about that podcast, man. Yeah. Well, we've mentioned it a few times. It's called the Copybook Headings Podcast. Uh, check it out. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dad, so I have a podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, you can always listen to another podcast. Ours is nice and short. So my 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 wife listens to all her podcasts on like, 2x speed and i'm like even mine she's like yeah even yours i'm like it's not weird to listen to your husband like talk sound like you know uh really fast she's like no so yeah uh check it out copybook headings podcast we try to keep these uh these old these old sayings alive we can keep some keep some history in us and and uh learn some wisdom from our from our forefathers uh yeah oh and uh follow us on social media what's our social media I can link it in the show notes. I know yeah, you're, on, you're on you're on Instagram. Do you have a Twitter for the show? We do have a Twitter. We okay. have a one follower maybe or two. Oh, so, hang on. Yeah, everyone. Hang on. Am I following you? I got to follow you right now. But yeah, I'll, I'll link it all in the show notes. Um, I, I do subscribe to your podcast. It is very good. What I like about it is it's it's kind of short. It's it's short, but it's packed. You get a lot of info packed in there in, in a, like a thirty minute episode. Um, and it's it's very informative. So it's I I can I can show your podcast too because it's it's really good. It's well done. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and Andrew's awesome. He's my, uh, my, he's a uh, smart guy on the podcast. So he, he adds a lot to it. Shout uh, out to yeah, Andrew. If you want to come on the podcast, give us a call, man. Yeah. Andrew's awesome. Uh, so we're just at copybook podcast on Twitter and yes, we have one follower. Nim is our one follower. Thank you, Nim. Shout out to Nim episode was the episode four. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Okay. You got one more follower, man. Excellent. Boom. All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's it. That's what I'm working on. I'm doing that and then raising all my, my kids and, and living life and, and uh, listening to the history and music podcast when I drive. So that's what I do. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, thanks for coming on Patrick. Great song. If you have a song in the future, you want to do again, we'd be happy to have you back. We always, we have no problem having repeat guests. Um, but with that, we'll let the song play us out. Unless Scott, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom? Nope. I'll let, I'll let Rome do that. 
Cool. Thanks, guys. Here it goes. We won't reveal our ailments and what haunts our sleep nightly in this tiny little world. We've locked ourselves in so tightly and the dead stand between us like wreaths and the people we've abandoned. The life we've surrendered to the streams. Oh, Giving you my hope, now I'm nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. One fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Right by right, falter, strength by strength, you fail. One fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Right by right, falter, strength by strength, you fail. To dissect for our meddling intellect and shapes the beauteous forms of things. So we bleat a little, twist a little, rotting in the belly of the beast while you feel you cannot be wrong. Oh, desire, giving you my all now nothing, 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 nothing. One fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Right by right, falter, strength by strength, you fail. One fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Right by right, falter, strength by strength, you fail. One fire fights, one fire, one nail, one nail. Right by right, falter, strength by strength. like repeating stuff but uh, especially me 